Good morning. Welcome to the City Club of Chicago. Today, our program is Budgeting for Equity with President Tony Preckwinkle of the Cook County Board of Commissioners. As the Chief Executive for Cook County Government, President Preckwinkle oversees one of the nation's largest public health and hospital systems and one of the nation's largest criminal justice systems. President Preckwinkle is a lifelong advocate for equity and equality, and through her work as president, has fought to improve health care access, bring increased fairness to the criminal justice system, and expand employment training opportunities for some of the county's most disadvantaged young people. President Preckwinkle is a nationally recognized leader in the drive to reduce unnecessary and costly detention of nonviolent offenders in the criminal justice system. She's also a fierce advocate for juvenile justice reform. President Preckwinkle is also president of the Forest Preserves of Cook County, the largest forest preserve district in the country, which spans 69,000 acres. Before she was elected Cook County Board President, Tony Preckwinkle served 19 years as alderman of the 4th Ward on Chicago's South Side, building a reputation for progressive independence she replaced public housing with viable mixed income developments, among many other accomplishments. Prior to holding elected office, President Preckwinkle taught high school history. Welcome, President Preckwinkle. Over to you. Good morning. I'd like to begin today by reflecting on what it means to be African-American. I know many of you are joining me to hear more about our budget for fiscal year 2021, the challenges we're facing, and how we plan to overcome them. For many, this might seem an odd way to begin talking about facts and financial figures. But let me assure you that this framework, a framework centered on racial equity, is all too relevant to this discussion. Being black in America is something I've thought a lot about, as long as I can remember. I often say to myself that whatever happens to me, I will never again be six years old, dreading my walk home from school and getting beat up because I'm black. Being a woman of color and now a parent and grandparent to black children informs my work as a civic leader and policymaker. The political is personal to me. That vulnerability, that oppression I felt as a girl stays with me. It motivates me to continue to work toward a world where other black boys and girls don't have to face what I endured. And this year especially, being black in America has taken on new meaning. Against the band, back, background of a pandemic that has decimated our black and brown communities, against the backdrop of protests focused on the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and so many others, the fight for a more just and equal world takes on new urgency. These experiences, both personal and collective, put things into perspective for me. And as I said, they motivate me. That perspective makes me deeply committed to making a racial equity the core of my administration's work and my vision for a stronger Cook County. And so that's where I want to begin. 
I always say that a government, government's values are reflected in how money is spent. And so when we talk about our budget, I'm really talking about budgeting for equity and what that means, why it matters, and how we're making it a reality in Cook County government. First, let me provide some context. When you look at a zip code with poor health outcomes and low life expectancies, you have to look at the root causes. The zip codes that have poor health outcomes are the same zip codes that have the highest unemployment rates, the highest poverty rates, the worst transportation options, and ultimately communities that are not safe. That's no accident. These are the same communities that suffer from disinvestment, redlining, and mass incarceration. These are the communities we need to help today. Contrary to the expectations of some, helping these communities will not just benefit those with the highest need, it will benefit all of us. We all benefit economically and psychologically when everyone thrives. To quote the late Minnesota Senator Paul Wellstone, one of my favorite politicians, we all do better when we all do better. 10 years ago, I ran for Cook County Board President because I wanted to make a difference. I knew that in this role, I could impact the two biggest aspects of Cook County, public health and public safety. And when I won that election, I made the transformation of these two arenas my highest priority. I did so because I firmly believe that health care is a basic human right. I also believe that neither race nor poverty should be a determinant in our criminal justice system. In 2010, as I took office, the county budget was, frankly, a mess. Our pension fund was critically underfunded. Cook County's health and hospital system was in desperate financial straits and over-reliant on taxpayer subsidies. On the public safety side, the jail, jail was a poorhouse full of black and brown people. The population at Cook County Jail at the time was 11,000 detainees. Needless to say, the work we tackled wasn't easy, but I'm happy to say that we've come a long way since then. On the health side, the passage of the Affordable Care Act enabled us to create county care, a Medicaid managed care plan. Cook County was able to build new modern facilities and provide quality care to patients, regardless of immigration status or ability to pay. We were also able to dramatically reduce the amount of taxpayer dollars used to fund the health system. In terms of public safety, I worked with all the stakeholders, the state's attorney, the public defender, the chief judge, the clerk of the court, and the sheriff. We worked together to make the criminal justice system more fair and equitable through systemic changes. By reducing reliance on cash bonds and allowing people to wait their trial in their communities, we've reduced the jail population by half prior to the pandemic. We no longer lock up people charged with low-level, nonviolent offenses because data shows that doing so does not, does not, contrary to what some people may believe, make our communities safer. It does just the opposite. Keeping people in jail prevents them from working, studying, and taking care of their families. It makes them more likely to commit future crimes. Detaining people pre-trial 
only destabilizes communities. The more we looked at these issues, the more we realized you can't make communities healthier just by building a new health center. You can't make communities safer just by adjusting felony prosecutions and ending cash bond. And that's because nothing happens in a silo. Nothing happens in a vacuum. The problems we face in Cook County are not random. They're systemic. They're linked. They're pervasive. Historically, government was responsible for creating some of the very problems we're tackling today. And that's why it's our responsibility to lead the charge in addressing them. That's where equity comes into the picture. And that's why equity matters. In addition to tackling the systemic issues of health inequities and criminal justice inequities, we created a Bureau of Economic Development in 2011. The Bureau provides funding throughout suburban Cook County for community development, infrastructure projects, and homeless shelters. Economic development is a critical component in Cook County government now. The Bureau works with its partners to create high-wage jobs and improve the quality of life for residents through the creation of affordable housing and business development. We know that all these factors are related when you look at where residents live, work, and spend money. Financial wealth in communities is only possible, is only possible when there are good paying jobs and residents have resources to reinvest in their communities. In collaboration with the city of Chicago, we created the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership. The partnership coordinates with the city and suburban Cook County to attract employers, retain jobs, and provide free resources for job seekers. We have to rethink and rebuild equity-minded institutions. We have to focus on meeting the needs of all of our residents, first-generation Latinx families, working mothers, elders in the LGBTQ community, veterans. Our residents have unique needs, and some have greater needs than others. Because we can't end health inequities with visits to urgent care. We can't police our way out of gun violence. Instead, we need to address the root causes and we need to budget for it. As I said, your values, your values are reflected in how your money is spent. And that's why we budget for equity. Budgeting for equity is simple. You prioritize spending where it makes the most impact where it addresses the greatest need, and where it repairs past harm. For seven years, we've been investing in public safety, infrastructure, and community development through the Justice Advisory Council, the Department of Transportation and Highways, and the Bureau of Economic Development. But this year, in the face of extraordinary challenges, we're doubling down, doubling down on those investments. This year, I'm proud to say, We've created a dedicated equity fund for the Cook County budget for the first time in our history. We're doubling down our investments in public health, a reimagined public safety system, and economic development. We're able to create this fund because of the hard work of our Bureau of Finance and our Board of Commissioners over the past decade. If we hadn't balanced the Cook County budget and put our pension fund on a path to solvency, we wouldn't be able to make these investments now. I thank them for their good work and dedication to public service. 
I want to especially thank my chief financial officer, Amar Ritsky, and my budget director, Annette Guzman, for their hard work. Creating this equity fund in a pandemic was no easy task, but that's how committed we are to this work. Now I'd like to delve deeper into how we are investing in these three policy areas through the equity fund and the impact these investments will make in our communities. I want to begin with public health. For decades, the governments around the country have tightened their budgets by cutting spending and staffing of public health departments. Unfortunately, we can see now how that has played out as a pandemic has arrived. Safety net hospitals and public health departments here and across the country are incredibly strained in this moment, the moment we need them most. That's why we've provided additional funding to the Cook County Department of Public Health to continue their work in 2021, leading Cook County's response to COVID-19, as well as launching a comprehensive opioid overdose and prevention program to address this mounting crisis. It must be noted that this pandemic has been a strain on both our physical health as well as our mental health. As a result of the isolation and economic instability, anxiety, depression, and suicides are on the rise this year. Working families across Cook County are forced to do more with less. That's taking a toll on everyone's mental health. The need is greater than ever especially among people of color across the south and west sides of Cook County. That's why we're investing an additional $30 million in behavioral health care with a focus on the south and west sides. Now, while I have your attention, I'd like to do some myth-busting. There have been rumors on social media that we're closing Provident Hospital or that we're cutting services. I'm here to say that both rumors are completely false. We're not closing Provident Hospital. Let me repeat that. We're not closing Provident Hospital. We plan to build a new facility, and we're strengthening the services that we offer at Provident now. Providing additional services that address the root causes of many of the chronic illnesses our residents are facing is incredibly important to Cook County Health. Yes, we're closing two aging, underutilized community health centers in dilapidated buildings, Woodlawn and Near South and consolidating the services we provide at Provident. But we're doing so to provide improved services to residents, not to cut costs or care. Every single patient, every single patient, will have access to their primary care physician at Provident. Additionally, they will be able to receive all of their care in a holistic setting. They won't have to take another trip to get lab work, specialty care, or prescriptions. So I'll repeat, we are not closing Provident. We're expanding and upgrading our clinical services there. These include a new lifestyle center, wraparound services, state-of-the-art mammography equipment, expanded diagnostic imaging services, opening a new dialysis center, and building our outpatient surgery footprint. We're committed to investing more than $200 million in the Provident campus over the coming years. All of this is to say that we're taking a holistic approach to health care in Cook County, focusing on preventive care, looking at how we can increase affordable housing, connecting people to jobs, encouraging people to go outside and enjoy nature. All of these factors affect health equity, 
We need to address them holistically if we're ever going to bring health equity to Cook County. And I'm proud of the work we've accomplished so far. Now let's talk about criminal justice. Cook County is taking a public health approach to criminal justice, and we're investing in that approach with our equity fund for 2021 as well. Now, what does it mean to take a public health approach to criminal justice? Well, in the same way we're addressing health care, we try to address the root causes of violence to prevent it before it happens in the first place. Taking a public health approach also means addressing mental health issues, treating substance abuse and addiction as illness and not crimes to be punished. Many of the people who move through our criminal justice system have underlying mental health and substance abuse issues. Instead of continually treating the symptoms, we need to treat the disease itself. It's part of the systemic change I mentioned. If we don't make systemic changes and address the root causes of violence, we'll never end the violence in Cook County. That's why we're investing an additional $20 million in community-based providers through our Justice Advisory Council. Police have become society's de facto first responders for a host of social problems, from homelessness and substance misuse to mental health crises. The police are not prepared, they're not prepared or qualified to respond to such problems. So instead of hyper-policing communities where people need jobs, health care, good schools and good food, we need to reimagine the system. We need to create systemic change if we are to reach the more just and equal world that we seek. Public safety means more than law enforcement in a criminal court system. Public safety means ensuring that communities, especially historically marginalized communities, have the resources to address critical social problems. That's why we fund organizations like Yemoja and Precious Blood through the Justice Advisory Council. These organizations teach restorative justice practices, which address past trauma and teach productive conflict resolution. They also provide job training to lift people out of poverty. This is how we will create a more just and equal world, by stopping crime before it starts. We have to make an investment in communities if we want to see a return. We have to act on a vision of what safe and thriving communities look like, Those are communities where residents have access to opportunity and success, where residents are connected to services they need, not just to survive, but to thrive. The next aspect of the equity fund that I would like to talk about speaks to this point. Millions of people across this country are struggling financially because of the pandemic. Hospitality workers are being laid off and working hours reduced. Small business owners and not-for-profits have been forced to close their doors. Many people don't know when or whether they'll reopen. Others can't go to work, and if they're fortunate, they must work from home. When the pandemic started, we launched 12 programs to strengthen residents and small businesses as part of the Community Recovery Initiative. Of those programs, our cash assistance program received the most applications by far. Nearly 30,000 people applied for a one-time payment of $600 to assist with essentials and bills. How does this program tie into equity? Society has underestimated 
the potential and the resourcefulness of people with limited incomes to improve their own financial and general well-being. For example, a woman we helped in suburban Cook County lost her job earlier this year due to measures to stop the spread of the coronavirus. She believes cash assistance is a blessing because it will enable her to pay for food and half of her bills. The pandemic has many faces. People are doing what they can to stay afloat. Some people might need rental, mortgage, or small business or food assistance. But this program will allow for residents to retain their independence. They can buy groceries and not have to choose between taking care of bills and individual needs. And the key here is asking families what they really need. Don't assume that all families can be treated in the same way or with the same strategies. I want to thank Ebony Scott from the Family Independence Initiative for partnering with us to bring this cash assistance program to Cook County. Ebony is a member of our newly formed Community Advisory Council, which we announced in my City Club address in May. We launched the council in July to help us respond to this pandemic and hear more directly from communities about what people need. I'm grateful to Ebony and the rest of the council for helping us be more equitable in responding to this crisis. We know that there are systemic barriers that challenge our black and brown communities. Advancing equity is all about removing those barriers. We do away with the traditional top-down approach to fighting poverty by supporting families in their rightful role as change agents. Restoring trust is critical to building our equity infrastructure. We trust that residents will make responsible choices to keep their families supported. These investments will pay dividends down the line. When our, rest, when our residents feel supported, they see opportunity when they look to the future and communities thrive. During this pandemic, we vastly expanded our programs with our CARES Act funding, but we know people will need help well into 2021. We have a responsibility to continue to provide these supports to the people who need them most. We've committed to continuing our cash assistance program. We're expanding workforce training, and we're also launching a foreclosure and eviction mediation program. That's why we're providing an additional $20 million to aid our residents and businesses in greatest need through this equity fund in economic development. The final aspect of the equity fund I would like to highlight is our investment in digital equity. Digital equity has become more important than ever as many people, especially our students, are forced to work remotely during the pandemic. One important piece of digital equity is access. Many in Cook County still don't have access to broadband. We've committed to expanding our fiber network in the south suburbs with $4.2 million. This funding includes a grant we received earlier this year through Connect Illinois from the state. We're grateful. Digital equity also requires affordability. In September, I announced a partnership with Comcast, along with Rich Minocchio, the executive director of the Housing Authority of Cook County. We're providing 10 months of high-speed internet free of charge, free of charge to all Housing Authority residents with school-aged children. But many of these children don't have the technology they need to participate in remote learning, even with high-speed internet access. The Housing Authority of Cook County has secured hundreds of laptops through their CARES Act funding 
to provide computers to these students throughout suburban Cook County. We're filling a critical gap in, black and brown, in the black and brown communities that we serve. Every child, every child deserves the same access to the same quality of education. During a time when education has to happen remotely via Zoom and other platforms, these programs make all the difference. Finally, during my City Club address in May, I was proud to launch a new free open learning platform lecture series as part of our work to advance digital equity. The series is called Cook County Presents, Open Lectures for Residents in partnership with the University of Chicago Office of Civic Engagement. I'm happy to announce that due to the success of our first installment of Open Lectures, with an estimated 10,000 views and counting, right this moment, we are launching a second installment of our Open Lecture series. We're grateful to be able to provide this curated educational content absolutely free of charge to all county residents. The courses will be available on the University of Chicago's Civic Engagement website and linked to our Cook County website at www.cookcountyil.gov. That's www.cookcountyil.gov. I want to thank Derek Douglas and the Office of Civic Engagement at the University of Chicago, my alma mater, for this partnership. All of this is to say that we're putting our money where our mouth is. This is what a commitment to budgeting for equity looks like. In total, we're investing more than $100 million over the next two years through this equity fund. I'm proud of my staff and the hard work we've done over the past decade to get us here. This pandemic is far from over, but budgeting for equity will ensure that Cook County comes out stronger as we recover. To quote one of my heroes, the late great civil rights leader, Congressman John Lewis, ours is not the struggle of one day, one week, or one year. Ours is not the struggle of one judicial appointment or presidential term. Ours is the struggle of a lifetime, or maybe even many lifetimes. And each one of us in every generation must do our part. We're doing our part in Cook County. I'm doing my part for my children, my grandchildren, and for their children. I'm doing my part for that scared six-year-old girl that continues to stay with me. I'm proud to say that our budget does reflect our values. What we value most here in Cook County are our residents and the diverse and vibrant communities in which they live. Thank you. Thank you, President Preckwinkle. I also would like to thank and recognize our sponsors today, AECOM and EBM Inc. Thank you for your support of the City Club of Chicago. President Preckwinkle, we have some questions, uh, some of which have been uh, coming in as you've spoken, and then also some that were submitted previously online. So let's get started with a Q&A. Thank you again for your remarks. Uh, this first question comes from Brent Adams of the Woodstock Institute. Uh, Brent asks, can you provide any additional information on your small business assistance program at the county? Uh, you know, the parameters, who can apply, 
Um, has the program reached areas underserved by PPP from the feds, um, lower income community of col- communities of color, et cetera? Could you comment on that? Well, the first thing I should say is that uh, we initiated, as I said in my speech, about a dozen community recovery programs in our community recovery initiative, about a dozen. And we funded those programs with CARES Act funding. Those were the federal dollars to support local units of government in the pandemic. But the requirement of the CARES Act dollars was that they all be expended by December 30th. So we introduced programs over the course of the summer and into the fall. The last one um, closed, I think, in the first week of November. And it closed because we have to submit, needless to say, it's the federal government, documentation for every dime that we spend. And we wanted to be sure that we both got the money out the door and had sufficient documentation to ensure that we would survive an audit. So all of our programs have come to a conclusion. And unless the federal government extends the deadline for expenditure of CARES Act money beyond December 30th of this year and or allocates new dollars, which I hope will be the case, to support us, um, those, all those programs have come to a conclusion. We had a program in the spring that gave people, gave small businesses and independent contractors, gig workers, an opportunity to borrow at, for five years at zero interest, uh, 20000 for businesses and 10000 for individual gig workers. Um, and in the course of the summer, we decided that it made sense just to make those grants. And we also had subsequently a grant program to small businesses. Um, both of those programs have, um, have closed as has our uh, most popular program, the, the outright contribution of $600 uh, to a family uh, to support their needs for essentials and to help them pay their bills. So all of the programs have concluded. Uh, are, they're no longer open as of the first week in November. And unless we get more money from the federal government, um, that will be the end of it. Let me ask a follow-up to that. If you had to handicap the likelihood of congressional action, federal level um, to expand or extend, I should say, renew some of these programs. Uh, how would you look at that? Well, over the course of the summer, uh, we kept expecting that there would be a federal action. Uh, as you know, the House in the spring uh, passed the HEROES Act. I think it was one and a half trillion dollars or maybe more. Um, additional aid to uh, cities, towns, villages, local units of government, to our states and to individuals. The Senate did not act on the House measure. Um, we kept getting reports from our lobbyists in Washington that action might be imminent. Of course, nothing happened. Um, and President Trump apparently now has stepped back from the negotiations between the Senate and the House around further legislation. So um, I'm not going to make any bets on whether or not there's action we can only hope that the Democrats win the two Senate seats in Georgia, that we have a majority in the Senate and can proceed with reasonable a reasonable response to both the pandemic and economic collapse. Thank you. This next question uh, comes from Gayla Brockman of Michael Reese Health Trust. Will you please discuss the county's plans around mobilizing COVID vaccine education and dissemination? Uh, The city of Chicago, the the county, and the state have been working together on distribution of the vaccine. And actually, I think there's a a meeting later this afternoon of all of the actors to try to uh, continue that effort. Uh, This is going to be a real challenge. It looks like there will be multiple vaccines uh, that have different uh, distribution requirements. The first one was announced, of course, 
needed to be on dry ice. So that was a, a challenge because uh, many of our pharmacies and, and frankly, our hospitals don't have the capacity to keep a vaccine at the temperatures of dry ice. But anyway, um, we've got some we've got some real challenges, but we are working together to try to address them. And what we need to do as well as as the as the questioner points out is deal with the um, unfortunate misinformation coming from the White House and elsewhere uh, about the pandemic and encourage people to 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 take the vaccine. Um, I, I heard on NPR the other day that only 50% of Americans uh, expressed a willingness to be vaccinated. That That's a nightmare. So hopefully we can both work on distribution and public education about the importance of, of, um, of taking the vaccine at the same time. And let me just say, um, the vaccine will not be available in qualities to meet all of our needs at once. This will be a gradual ramp-up production. And the priority will go, I'm sure, to healthcare workers and to those in vulnerable populations, particularly our seniors and those who have underlying health conditions that make them particularly vulnerable uh, to the coronavirus. All right, here's another question concerning COVID on a different front from Tracy Baldwin of the American Osteopathic Association. What can the county and other local governments do to make up the lost tax revenue and increased expenses from the COVID-19 pandemic? How will we be able to balance budgets? Well, the short answer is we can't. The only um, government entity that has the capacity to meet the lost revenue needs of local units of government is the federal government. And as I said, um, the federal government, at least the Senate, the Republican-controlled Senate, had not been willing to proceed with additional uh, pandemic relief. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, either in this lame duck duck session until mid-January or after January, um, the Senate whoever leads the Senate, will be willing to work with the House uh, to pass such legislation. So we're in a very difficult place. We were able in the county to balance our budget, as I said, but it's a result of 10 years of hard work. Um, and we used up considerable portion of rainy day fund. This is definitely a rainy day. Uh, but if we don't have revenue next year, and we will surely have revenues that don't match um, 2019 if we continue as we are rightfully doing to restrict, um, to try to encourage people to restrict their their contacts and to stay at home as much as possible. Um, th- th- needless to say, that has economic impacts, um, and that has impacts on the revenue of local governments like, like Cook County. 65% of our revenue is dependent on economic activity, and when the economy falls off a cliff, uh, so do our revenues. So we, we hope and pray for federal action. Uh, Mark Brown from one of our sponsors today, EBM Inc. This is a comment rather than a question. All good. Thank you for your service. Love teachers. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Mark, for that. Okay, uh, next up, we have a question from Steve Schlickman. What is the status of the effort to implement a trial for lower fares on the Metra electric line? Our fare transit... uh model project will go into effect in January. Um, we have been working with Metra for some time to put this together. And across the pandemic intervened and made it even more difficult for us to figure out how to proceed. But we're going to start in January, uh, come hell or high water. And uh, what it means is that within the city of Chicago, riders of Metro Electric on the south and southeast sides of the city and the south suburbs 
And likewise, riders of the Rock Island trains in the south side of Chicago and in the south suburbs will pay CTA fares within the city. That's $2.50. And in the suburbs, we'll see reduced fares. So we're trying to make transportation more affordable for the part of the county that is least well-served by public transit. And we discovered this uh, about four or five years ago as we did our long-range transportation plan and looked at uh, transportation from a multimodal perspective uh, rather than just roads and bridges uh, and and looked at public transit and who was well-served and who wasn't. On the south side of Chicago and the south suburbs, I uh, have particular challenges in terms of public transit, and that's where we've focused our efforts. So January, the, the pilot starts. Marty Smith from National Nurses United asks, what specific plans does the county have to address the imminent closure of hospitals on the southeast side and the impact on black and brown lives there? Uh, well, thank you for the question, Marty. I think um, Marty is referring to the what we believe is the impending closure of Mercy Hospital. I know that the elected officials of the South Side, including uh, Alderman Sophia King, Alderman Pat Dowell, uh, Lamont Robinson, who's the state representative, um, Bill Lowry, our county commissioner, uh, Senator uh, Maddie Hunter, and Senator Robert Peters have all been um, involved in the effort to try to get the Trinity uh, Hospital Association, I think that's the name Trinity, or Trinity Healthcare, um, to entertain uh, offers from uh, other healthcare providers for the Mercy site. I don't know, frankly, what the state of that is at the moment. Um, and it will, be a, it will surely be a challenge to the south side of Chicago if Mercy closes and if there is no buyer to assume the um, role of, of, uh, of operating a hospital on that site. Um, this is not, however, a county facility. And so the impact that I can have as president of the county or, or frankly, um, the county itself is, is pretty minimal. It's, a, it's a, a deep concern, and it's something that um, I've shared with the, the elected officials who represent that community, in addition to myself, um, as well as uh, ask the governor for help. But it's a, it's a challenge. Chuck Bernardini, Mixon Peabody. Uh, President Preckwinkle, you are lauded by the local news media for your management skills. You have also earned a reputation for being pro-union. In some eyes, these are contradictory positions. Please tell us how you have successfully successfully managed both principles. Well, thank you for the question. I, I guess I don't see them as, as uh, contradictory or in conflict. Uh, we try to treat our workers fairly, just as we want to be treated fairly. Um, and, of course, we've focused uh, very heavily on uh, being good stewards, being good fiscal managers of county government. Um, and, and, frankly, I guess I... I I think it's, it's possible and necessary to do both, to be fair to your workers and to run your, your, your level of government as efficiently and as effectively as you possibly can. And so that's, those have both been my goals, and I think we've had, we've had good success over the past decade. I, I have a quick question. Um, in this time of the pandemic, um, how is the health system um, utilizing, to what extent rather, um, 
telemedicine, if, if at all? Uh, we're we're um, using a lot of telemedicine. And I, I guess I would say that um, this was a, a direction in which our healthcare system was moving previously. And uh, it's only been accelerated. That, uh, that shift, that transformation has only been accelerated in the present environment. Um, we're doing considerable amount of our healthcare delivery um, telephonically. They got me back. Yep. There we go. Thank you. Welcome I, back. I, I apologize. I apologize for the technical difficulties. As I, as I said to Nick, if, if, if it were my computer, I would think it was all my fault, but since it's his computer, then it's definitely technical difficulties because he knows what he's doing and I don't. <laughs> well, welcome back. We have a, we have a few more questions and, and a sure. little bit more time here. Um, this one comes from Kimberly Pate Godden. Thank you for your hard work, especially over the last eight months. Here, here to that. Um, access to medical transport for ambulatory and non-ambulatory patients in Cook County can often be a barrier. The industry is facing a shortage. How can our industry work with the county to recruit and retain employees for these functions? Uh, well, I would suggest uh, a partnership with the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership, which is our employment training agency that serves not only those seeking employment, but also businesses seeking workers. Um, and uh, if you remind me at the end of this conversation, Anne-Marie, I'll uh, arrange for my staff to contact the individual who uh, asked the question. Will do. All right. Um, another one comes from John Mick, Baxter and Woodman. President Preckwinkle, thank you so much for your service. Can you share with us any areas in the county uh, budget where you would consider additional reductions in expense and or staffing um, while still maintaining the serving the range of constituents that you do? Well, I, I just want to express my appreciation all of our separately elected officials, and there are 11 of them, 11 separately elected officials in Cook County, for their cooperation and collaborations we put this budget together. Now, this was an extraordinary year. Uh, in May, we, we directed there be a 5% holdback, uh, not only under offices of the president, but all of our separately elected officials uh, as well. And in this budget, we worked with every separately elected official to reduce their budgets, every separately elected official. And I'm grateful to them for that good work. So I, the, the budget that we have reflects that cooperation and collaboration, and I'm not going to suggest any further reductions. All right. Uh, could you just remind our, our viewers uh, today uh, what just the high-level uh, process that the Cook County budget goes through? I think that would be useful as a reminder. Well, as soon as we finish one budget, we start on the next one. <laughs> so the, the budget has to be, um, well, the statutory requirements, we have to get it done by February, but the fiscal year begins December 1. And after the first difficult year, um, I vowed that we would get our budgets done before the fiscal year began, and we've done that every year after the first one. So by no November 30th, we have our budget in place. And starting in January, so we give ourselves the holidays off, so starting in January, we start preparing the budget for the next year. Uh, we submit a uh, preliminary budget to the public in, Jan in June. Um, it, the requirement is before June 30th, I think. Um, so we submit a preliminary budget in June. We continue to work with 
all parts of county government, all the separately elected, the health and hospital system, and, and my offices to prepare the final budget, which is submitted in October with my budget address. So uh, the process begins in January. We prepare a preliminary budget in conjunction with all of the actors in the county in June, and then the final budget is presented in October. So it's a it's an almost year long process that begins almost immediately after the first the, the previous budget year uh, budget has has been approved. Thank you for that. Um, we uh, we're running out of time. I I don't see any more questions unless we have some additional, I think we're good. Yeah. We, uh, we appreciate very much your joining us today, President Preckwinkle. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, EBM Inc. and AECOM. And uh, just a reminder, C3 nonprofit organization, and we welcome uh, support from all of you um, to continue our roster of quality public policy programming and with that, I would like to offer a couple of things to President Preckwinkle. Um, I'm sure you have a collection of these, but we do have the much-coveted City Club mug. Yes, we, I have a few of those, yes. Which we will be getting to you. Uh, and we also have a complimentary um, one-year membership uh, to the City Club of Chicago. Um, before we go, let's just remember, stay safe, everybody. Wear your mask. And on behalf of City Club of Chicago, this is Anne-Marie St. Germain signing off. Have a great day.